It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's great to be with you. Join us during the week. Fox Business Television. Fox Business Television. Name of the show is Kudlow. Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. Can't see us at 4. Text your favorite nine-year-old, and she'll show you how to DVR the show. And here on radio, you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com, playing all across the country, throughout the world, throughout the solar system, including the Milky Way. We're going to do some stock market work for the next half hour, kind of a lackluster week. Dow is up 127. NASDAQ uh, up 449. The S&P was stronger, up 87. Year-to-date, basically flat, first two weeks of the year. Interest rates declined in the Treasury market. Mr. Copper, Dr. Copper, fell again. And... Um, not much going on in energy, despite the Houthi attacks. In fact, for the week, uh, crude oil, West Texas, and Brent fell slightly. So let's bring in our guests and get their take. Jeff Kilberg, CEO of KKM Financial. Jim LeCamp, Senior VP Investments at Morgan Stanley. Gentlemen, welcome back. Uh, Jeff Kilberg, we were talking earlier uh, with John Carney of Breitbart, I mean, the CPI inflation came in stronger than thought, than expected by Wall Street. And you're up 3.4% uh, for all items, 3.9% core, excluding food and energy. Meanwhile, services CPI, 5%, and excluding energy, 5.3%. The Fed's target is 2 I don't see how the Fed is going to start slashing its Fed funds target rate uh, with these kinds of inflation numbers. Inflation is not conquered. What do you think? You're not wrong, Larry, and it's great to hear you. Happy New Year. But when I look at the CPI data, I think that is one number. I think the Fed has looked at the last four or five data points, the last four or five months, and the trajectory for inflation continues to cool. So I do believe they're going to be on track. I'm not as uh, you know, optimistic about 150 basis points of a cut, but 75 basis points to 100 basis points in 2024 only takes us down to 4.5%. So I think that is truly plausible, but they're going to be looking at earnings season. Obviously, you know, profits are the mother's milk of stock. So we're really going to understand, did companies actually make money in Q4? So I think we have the inflationary going the right way. They're going to want to see how the strength of the economy is, and that's going to be measured right now, obviously, in stocks uh, with but I don't see why, uh, Jim LeCamp, I don't see why the Fed should cut at all. In other words, no. because um, actually, even looking at the year-to-year change, uh, that has stopped falling the last several reports. And again, the core rate is, you know, everything's above their target. Services inflation, way above their target. Uh, wage inflation, way above the Fed's target. And you've got a 3.7% unemployment rate, which is, I mean, the, the participation rates may be low, but the actual unemployment rate is very low. I don't see what the case is at all for Fed easing. If we look back to uh, Jimmy Carter running for re-election, 
what we had was a Fed that paused, and it it it, it spurred about the reacceleration of inflation. So there is a real risk that if the Fed pauses or cuts too quickly and is too proactive to do that, that we could have an even bigger problem on our hand than we had before. And let's not forget that there is a war going on over there. They've already hit supply lines. It's going to hit the uh, energy markets probably, not necessarily, but probably. So, yeah, I look at the, um, the Fed funds futures, and they suggest a 76% probability of a cut in March. And I tend to agree with you, Larry, that I don't I think they have conquered inflation. On the other hand, they're probably looking at mortgage rates. And if you look at mortgage rates and you tie them together with the uh, cost of homeless ownership today, uh, it's really tough. Uh, the housing market's uh, been uh, crippled to a degree. It's getting a little bit better. Uh, but it's still really tough. And you have a lot of private equity deals that aren't getting done because interest rates are higher than when they um, originally uh, started putting those deals together. Uh, there is stress in the system. There is also uh, oncoming stress in the commercial real estate market that hasn't been um, bandied about as much as, as uh, considering how big of a problem that's going to be. So I think they're looking at those things, too, and they're hoping to avoid some sort of a commercial real estate slash um, a funding crisis here in the in the U.S. Uh, by cutting rates a little well, bit. So I think that's on their mind, too. They ought to wait. I mean, if there's going to be a shock, a negative shock, okay, but it hasn't happened yet. Correct. You, you know, gentlemen, take a look. There was a very good story in – it was either Friday's Wall Street or Thursday's Wall Street Journal. Um, the Fed's bank rescue facility is now up $140 billion. That's how much they... Drop they've, in the bucket. Yeah. Drop in the bucket, Larry. $140 billion is not a drop in the bucket. That's a lot of money. Uh, come on. And people are... People are arbitraging... Well, hang on. Let me make my point. People are arbitraging... Sure. Uh, they're buying the Fed's uh, emergency bank reserve fund, which is below 5%, and then they're depositing them as bank reserves at the Fed, and they're getting 55 to 5.5%. So it's a profitable arbitrage for banks. But the point is $140 billion is $140 billion. Um, that's since last March. I mean, they've – here's my point. They're not as tight as you think they are, Okay. They're not as tight from a liquidity standpoint. They're not as tight as you think they are. That's all I'm saying. Well, I, well, I agree with that. But the one point I wanted to bring up is that the overarching theme and why the market continues, in my opinion, to move higher and is going to move higher is because of their balance sheet. They have no plans of really reducing their balance sheet. That is the ultimate shock absorber for any type of event. And I know the war, you know, Jim brings up a great point. There's a lot of wild cards out there. But I look at where the, the, the 10 year note is. And I go back to my days when I started my career at the Chicago Board of Trade, Trading Treasury Futures. The bond market provides leadership. And right now, since we've seen the Fed flinch, they made their pivot, we saw the 10-year note go from 5.1% down to 3.75%. The bond market is telling you that there are cuts coming, right, wrong, or indifferent, 
those market cuts are coming from the Fed. And that's where I think the market is looking where the puck's going. We can count on the fact that the Fed always is going to be behind the curve. They were notoriously wrong. Let's go back to 2021 when they said inflation was just going to be transitory and it popped above 9% in the CPI. So mm-hmm. having faith in the Fed has just been a, a, a losing proposition. I think a better case for stocks is uh, profits. Profits have held yeah. up very well. Um, and stuff coming in, bank earnings look pretty good. So I, I think that's a point. I, I, all I'm saying is uh, if you think the Fed's going to cut three times or four times or five times, think again. That's what I'm saying. It's a red flag. By the way, the 10 years, uh, 394 closed on Friday. Um, most of the week it was above 4%. I mean, I think the bond market is having second thoughts well, bond markets that. got a lot more to deal with in terms of supply coming. There, what is there, nine trillion dollars that we have to issue this year? I think that's a real question for where the rate picture is going. Is can we sell as many treasuries as we need to? Uh, China's not buying, uh, not buying what they were. The banks are already loaded up in them, and 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 some painfully so. And so I, I think that is going to be an issue for the bond market when it comes to corporate profits, Larry. I think you're absolutely right, and I think this is the key for investors. Stick with companies that have earnings. Right. And if you can stick with companies that have quality earnings through through uh, any kind of cycle, uh, money is gravitating towards those companies. And you look at the Magnificent Seven for last year, they had earnings. That's what they, Their peg rates, their PE uh, uh, minus their growth rates, if you look at their peg rates, they're, they're, they're actually still reasonable compared to the rest of the market, and it's because those companies had earnings. And I think investors are going to be fine if they stick with uh, – the, the market could still be narrow, but if you stick with those quality earnings companies, I think uh, the market will reward that. Well, and I, I do think um, you know, at the Magnificent Seven, I mean, I think the revolution – in uh, fast computing and AI and so forth will enhance productivity, which in turn will enhance profits. Uh, it will also enhance wages. I mean, I, I agree with that argument. That's the Ed Yardeni argument or the Kathy Woods argument. I think uh, that's a good argument. I'm not so sure about the goods side of the calculation. Let me look at this. Industrials were up six-tenths. Materials down 1%, energy down 2.5%. What's your call on uh, energy, Jeff Kilberg? I think energy, you have to be really selective. And we talk about, you know, and Jim brings up a great point, owning essential names. You know I'm the portfolio manager, Larry, of the Essential 40. And we really focus on owning big names. So Chevron, ExxonMobil, names we want to own. But I think energy has the ability to bounce back, but it, it has been counterintuitive. And we don't see demand coming out of China. China ultimately is going to drive the boat, which is correlated to Dr. Copper that you talked about earlier. So until we really see China come back online, which it hasn't come back on nearly. This is going on year four from the COVID shutdown. So that will be the, the, the real driver. But I think energy has the ability. But we look at names, names kind of off the radar inside, outside the Magnificent Seven. So you talk about Pell Alto. You talk about IBM, who's playing in the cloud. You mm. talk about Intel. Some of these names that are coming back, and even a new addition to the portfolio this year was Lilly and American Waterworks. Mm. You talk about American, uh, American Waterworks, AWK, it's off the radar. It's only a $25 billion market cap, but we talk about water and the essentiality of water. I think we want to own names because it is a stock picker's market. That's a big play, the water play, isn't it? That's a mm-hmm. really... Uh, sort of under-the-radar type play. That's right. I want to take a break, but Jim LeCamp, just give me 30 seconds. Um, 
Microsoft has now got a bigger market cap than, um, than uh, let's see, Amazon. No, then, um, yeah, bigger cap than Amazon. Did I get well, that right? You, uh, you're looking at two companies that are, are, are pretty permeated in, into our economy. Or Apple. Maybe it's bigger market cap than Apple. It's a, it's a, it's a trillion so, bigger than Amazon. You got that right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Amazon's $1.6 trillion, um, uh, Microsoft north of that. Plus, uh, with Microsoft, you, you have a better earnings growth-looking picture, and you, you, you have that tie that's a little stronger to alternative uh, uh, intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence, than Amazon, even though both companies could, could claim that they're very tied in. They're very smart, Microsoft. Yeah, you know? they're, they're, yeah they I, are. I dealt with them. Uh, when I was in the government, I dealt with them on 5G and you know advanced virtualization and so forth as a way of getting – they're very smart, Microsoft. This is interesting to me that 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 uh, company two point eight nine trillion as your market cap. Wow, trading at thirty seven times earnings, but you've got a pretty strong earnings projection for both this year and next. And I'm not telling people to buy it or not buy it. I'm saying there are reasons why investors have flocked to that. All right, kids, let's uh, take a break and uh, come back and i've got some interesting things for you jeff kilberg of uh, kkm financial jim lacampa morgan stanley i'm kudla we'll be right back talking stocks this is the larry kudlow show with crime running rampant in new york you need to keep yourself and your family safe obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time consuming that's where myfirstpistol.com comes in they'll help you secure your concealed carry license if you're looking for a pistol premise rifle or shotgun license call 347-559-7052 347-559-7052 you must have a valid firearm license issued by the nypd to purchase possess or shoot a handgun or pistol in nypd I see. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking stocks with Jeff Kilberg, CEO of the KKM Financial, and Jim LeCamp, Senior Vice President for Investments at Morgan Stanley. Gentlemen, we've got four minutes to hash over the new Bitcoin ETF. You knew it was coming. Bitcoin, which is up 116.5% over the last 52 weeks, although it did drop a point this past week, 42,905.95 cents. Jeff Kilberg, are you investing in this new ETF? You know, Larry, it's an old adage from the floor. Buy the rumor, <laughs> sell the fact. And if you look at the 70% move higher in this highly anticipated ETF. And I'm a believer in blockchain and believer in Bitcoin longer term, but I actually have a trade on right now. I'm shorting Coinbase, which is highly correlated. Mm -hmm. It's the largest platform. So I'm shorting Coinbase right now through options. I own a put spread, but I think it's overdone. I think there's a pullback. I think you see Bitcoin go lower. Why, Larry? I don't see the institutional adoption. I understand all the hodl. I understand all the hype, but I don't see the institutional adoption yet. Yes, this ETF is now going to provide advisors, smart advisors like Jim, to potentially give their clients some access to this cryptocurrency, but I just don't think it's going to be linear. It's not going to be parabolic like all 
all the hype out there. Jim LeCamp, that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said about you. Did you hear that? <laughs> don't let that go. It's a short list. I, I mean, mean, don't I, let I, that I, go, I man. I've known you about 30 years. That's a lovely thing to say. <laughs> but the fact is, uh, will you recommend the ETF to your clients? If you look at the history of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and we'll narrow it down to Bitcoin and Ethereum because those are the ones that seem to have the most gravitas, uh, buying them on 50% corrections is the way to go, not buying them uh, near all-time highs. So I agree with Jeff. I, I don't think uh, this is the right place to do it. And if you look at these Bitcoin ETFs, I think uh, Merrill Lynch and Vanguard have said, ah, we don't know if we want our investors in this or not. There, there is still a lot of skepticism uh, from uh, the wirehouse community mm. on whether these ETFs are, are really going to be something they can put their weight behind. So I think it's going to be more like these meme stocks. And by the way, if you look at uh, some of those meme stocks, they're back near all-time lows. Uh, so I think investors have That's to right. be really careful about chasing those things. I do also agree that the outlook for fintech and blockchain is very, very good. And so we have some blockchain investments. I'm, I'm just not uh, speculating right now at these prices in either the Coinbase-type stocks or the cryptocurrencies Coin, after the big move. Coinbase. Is is solid, right? I mean, publicly traded, SEC reporting, and so forth. So, I mean, whatever you think the outlook is, short term, long term, I mean, it's a real company, right? It's volatile. It's a real company, but it's volatile. It was up three hundred and ninety one percent in twenty twenty three after being down eighty five percent in twenty twenty two. So, if you have the stomach for it, yeah, it's real. It's publicly traded, Larry. But you're talking about a company that's a thirty one billion dollar market cap, and it moves. Is the uh, ETF it was trading at over four hundred, and then a couple of years later, it's trading in the twenties. So that's the kind of volatility you're talking about. Well, I wouldn't put the family jewels in it. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, the ETF was for Bitcoin alone, it's not not Ethereum or any of the others. Is that correct? Uh, there's there's uh, more than one ETF there. Uh, my understanding is that the Grayscale offering, which is the one that's uh, most prominent out there right now, is based on Bitcoin. But mm -hmm. I, I'm not an it's expert. Bit, yeah, it's all Bitcoin right now. And you're seeing the biggest guys actually came in. BlackRock just went over $10 trillion. They're kind of seeing the most asset flows. But you did see $5 billion going to these ETFs on day one, Larry. So it's real. It's tangible. Well, that was my uh, bid. No, that, was, that $5 was my bid. But I decided to pull it at the last moment. At Good the last job. moment, I, I, I uh, decayed the trade. Just You, know. you don't want to lose your invitation to Davos because of uh, Bitcoin investing. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, as old as I am, I still own the S&P index. I mean, it's old God as bless. I am. Jeff Kilberg, wonderful. Jim LeCamp, wonderful gentleman. Happy New Year to both of you. We'll see you back soon. Folks, we're going to take a break and then other side. Some money politics with Liz Peak and Steve Moore. I'm Cudlow.